Hello, and welcome to another exciting edition of the School Safety Free Period. I'm Amanda Klinger. And I'm Dr. Amy Klinger. And we are with the Educators School Safety Network. We are a national nonprofit organization, and we provide school safety training and resources and technical assistance to schools throughout the United States and Canada. And we're typically very serious, and we're typically very academic. But every once in a while, we are a little bit less yeah, like every week. You always act like it's spontaneously. Like <laughs> we, we are a little bit less serious, but we're still really academic. We're Actually, we're still pretty serious. Um, but we have our school safety-free period where we're a little bit less formal. It's probably the best way yes, to do it. I think informal is a better uh, descriptor. Sure. So what do you have for us this week? Well, so this week, um, this week has evolved a little bit. Okay. Um, I started out really wanting to have a bit of a discussion about school safety after school. You know, if you watch a movie um, at the end of the school day, the bell rings and all the kids rush out of school and jump into the waiting arms of their parents. And, you know, the school empties out and in five minutes, there's nobody there because everyone has gone home in reality. That is not the case. Um, probably every one of our listeners who is an educator has pulled up to school in the morning at some point in their career to find kids waiting to get into the building. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we've all experienced after school going, why are you here? What are you doing here? Why are you hanging around here? What are you guys doing? Where are you supposed to be? The questions that all educators and administrators find themselves asking from the minute the bell rings at the end of the day until mm -hmm. probably they go home or the building gets locked up, going, what, what are you doing? Where are you supposed to be? Who's supposed to be supervising you? And that really raises not only um, irritation concerns of what, what, why, are, why are all these people here, but it certainly raises um, safety concerns. And I think everyone probably has stories of kids arriving too early, kids not getting picked up and sitting there at night, um, students loitering around unsupervised, fighting with each other, chasing mm -hmm. each other around, a lot of horseplay that's happening, people mm -hmm. being in areas where they're not supposed to be, uh, doing things they're not supposed to be doing, helping themselves to items that are unsecured. And so clearly you can see a lot of potential safety concerns in terms of um, accidents happening, um, people having access control problems, um, fights and those kind of physical sort of altercations. Um, we oftentimes see a lot of student athletes in weight rooms unsupervised. Um, the coach isn't there yet and we're in the locker room playing around, climbing on things, doing all kinds of stuff. And so those are the more obvious ones. Um, but I think it, those even oftentimes are unaddressed. And when we do vulnerability assessments, the most common um, vulnerabilities that we see oftentimes are after school where yeah. we see very little supervision and um, not really, you know, kids aren't really where they're supposed to be. They're kind of out and about. Do you want to say anything about that in terms of just the liability of that sort of daily sort of Sure. I mean, it's a, it's a huge liability, obviously, both the before school time and the after school time. And it's a different type of liability. Uh, in some of my school law courses, we talk about premises liability. So this is when we let the, uh, you know, local basketball league use the gym. And there's kids playing basketball in the gym where the school is just providing the facility. So that's like a premises liability like any store or business or public place has premises liability to keep the place reasonably safe. So that's one concern. But I think what you're talking about is another level where there you are still acting 
in the place of the parent. Um, and there is an expectation of a certain level of supervision of students, even, even though it's not during the magical official school hours. If the school knows that kids are there at seven, we either need to really put an end to that practice or have adequate and appropriate supervision from the time that we know kids are, are coming and are extending the school day, whether we want it or not. And that raises a lot of dilemmas for, for parents, for teachers, for administrators. So if the school doors open at 7.30, can I drop my kid off at 7.10? And if I as an administrator know that there's all these kids being dropped off at 7, what am I supposed to do? How do I stop that? Do I bring them in and do I take on that additional supervision? Um, and, and after school is the same way. You know, parents are working. They don't necessarily have options. and Coaches are not necessarily teachers, so maybe practice starts an hour after school um, lets out rather than immediately after school. So now what are we doing with those kids for that hour? Mm -hmm. um, and a parent doesn't have the ability to come get them, but yet the teachers are not supposed to be supervising, yet the coach is not there. And so it really becomes sort of this, no, it doesn't belong to anybody. This is a problem that kind of floats around. Um, everyone has a share in contributing to it, but no one really is able to, you know, it's kind of an ephemeral sort of problem. It only occurs on Tuesdays or during basketball season or, you know, and so it's, it, it's very difficult to formalize um, your response and to formalize. But yet I guarantee that you probably have um, language in your board policies or in your faculty handbook or somewhere that talks about the obligation for the supervision of students. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've really created kind of this forgotten land that causes a lot of liability. Yeah. So what do you recommend? I mean, I, I would say from a liability standpoint, my big recommendation is a way to avoid uh, or <laughs> This is not a way to avoid liability, saying, well, the school opens at 7.30, I don't care, I, I can't control what happens before 7.30 because we don't unlock the doors until 7.30. That is not a way to avoid liability. So what would you recommend as a way to address that issue? Well, I think there's a variety of things. I think having clear expectations is one. Mm -hmm. um, we can't open the doors at 7.10 one day and 7.30 another day. And then on Tuesdays, we don't open them until 7.35. And mm -hmm. so I think it's important to have consistency. I think it's important to communicate those expectations up front and in advance to parents and talk about the safety and liability concerns of students being dropped off in the dark at seven o'clock as opposed mm -hmm. to 7.15. Um, but I think also after school, there's a lot that you can do that involves sort of herding of like, okay, you, we're, we need you to be in this area. We mm -hmm. need you to be in this place. We need someone that's watching you for so that, so that we, are creating an environment where students are safe, where they are supported, where it may be more informal, but yet it's not the wild west where mm -hmm. we're leaving and we're going across the street and then we're running over here and then we're chasing each other around the library and then we're in this TV studio messing around with the equipment. So containing people, sort of hurting people, I think also and having- I wanna really say one thing about that what, before you move on. Yeah. And the other good you know, unintended consequence of that is it becomes a lot less attractive to the students to remain after school when it's not the Wild West. And I can't just run everywhere and I can't just mess. And it's 
I'm only allowed to be in this part and there's someone here who's supervising us and I can't wander, then maybe I'll just go home or actually go to the activity or do what it is that well, I'm actually supposed and, to do. And that was going to be my follow-up of also hurting and screening in the sense of asking that question of, you know, this is the basketball team study table. Are you on the basketball team? Mm -hmm. No. Okay. Why are you here? Mm -hmm. uh, and so making it less attractive to hang out. And, mm -hmm. and yet we want kids to socialize. We want kids to have, I mean, you know, there's a part of me that says, I don't want to send kids home to sit in front of the TV or sit in front of a screen yeah. um, in an empty house when they could be here socializing, getting physical activity, you know, okay, I get all that. So I think sometimes it's important to think outside of the box, maybe informalize in offering programs for people mm -hmm. to stay after school. But we also can't just have it be sort of like the local community square where everyone kind of does their thing and runs around and does. So mm -hmm. it, it is really certainly a dilemma. I, I think it's also really important to get other stakeholders involved in terms of coaches, teachers, people after school, who have a set responsibility and that then mm. they communicate those expectations. So if I expect the basketball team to go to study table and to be there at 315, then I need to make sure that they really are there and it mm. really is 315 and they really are doing study table. Um, rather than just saying, well, find something to do mm -hmm. until practice starts at four o'clock. Yeah. So I think formalizing it really helps too. And I understand it's a tall order because I struggled with that. And I've been on both sides of, I've been on all three sides of that as a teacher, when I was a principal and as a parent mm -hmm. of going, oh, come on, I can't get over there and pick you up for 15 minutes and then bring you back for practice. So I think it's really important for it to be much more collaborative. Right now, the sense I have in many schools is people saying, not my problem. Um, and the administration is sort of left either with benign neglect or having to take on this really kind of patrolman stance of like, what are you doing and how can we, you know, what, what are we doing with these kids? Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to have that be collaborative. I think the, probably the biggest takeaway is it shouldn't be a surprise. No one should say, wow, I had no idea we had kids here after school or wow, I had no idea kids were showing up early and sitting in the lobby for 25 minutes. And I, think I want, and I want to interject why, at that point. That again is not a way to avoid liability. Saying I had no idea. I sit here in my office until six p.m. I didn't know what kids were in the building. That's called constructive knowledge. In a legal sense, you have constructive knowledge that there are there are students still remaining, and so that is not a uh, effective strategy to avoid liability either. And, and you know, taking off all the safety stuff and the liability hat. There is something valuable in certain extent, in some cases, there is some value in kids having informal interactions with people mm -hmm. at school. I mean, you know, if, if we all look at our school experiences, some of the things that we remember were hanging out after school or talking to the teachers after school or making friends. I mean, so mm -hmm. we don't want to sweep the halls, you know, like it's the end of a festival and force everyone out, bar the doors and don't let anybody in. Because that minutes. means that you're doing something right. If students want to remain in the school, there is at least a part of that that means that we have a positive thing here and the person and the students feel an affinity or feel some sense of place. Uh, and so that's not something that you want to utterly destroy. Yeah. And so I think it's easy to just go, well, we're just going to take the hard line approach. We're going to sweep the halls. And within seven minutes after school, we've locked the doors, secured the building. No one can come in. Okay. Now we've created that sort of jail mentality. Mm -hmm. 
but I'm not sure that that's necessarily always the best interest of students. On the other hand, it is also not in the best interest of students in any way to have essentially the wild west of I'm running around and every, nobody knows where anyone is, there's no one in charge. And so we're trying to hit more of that sweet spot, but we can do it, but we have to be collaborative and we have to have foresight and we have to be consistent. It can't just be, oh no, we had this problem, now we're gonna institute this rule. So we have to anticipate those things because kids have been hanging around after school since, I don't know, we had school in the colonial schoolhouse. So they didn't have to probably. run home to like do threshing or something. Yeah, um, so when I, they didn't wanna ride the ox home, so yeah. they had to you know, hang around after school. And I, do wanna, I do wanna say something else that kind of dovetails with what we talked about last week. Um, the concern of people arriving so early before school, you can work to mitigate some of that by encouraging, like what we said last week, encouraging people to avail themselves of busing um, when that's available. Um, if yeah. you have a problem of a creep of kids arriving earlier and earlier and earlier, it's perhaps because the parents can't drop them off at the correct time because of their schedules or their work or whatever the case may be. And so, again, leaning back on that busing will help with a lot of that as well. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, again, what, what you said earlier, if it's more fun to be crazy running around after school than to go home, I'm going to stay in crazy run around after school. If it's not quite as much fun to sit in a little more unstructured environment and get some tutoring help, okay. So, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying that we want to make it unpleasant, but we also can't have it be just this free for all um, because that leads us very much into the second part of our discussion today, which is how this sort of evolved. There were two significant things that happened in the news this week that really sort of illustrated the unanticipated, unexpected stuff that can happen both in school and after school. And oftentimes we are better equipped to handle these things during school. So I wanna talk about these two things and look at them from the lens of, okay, here's what we would do during school. And then I want you to take that same situation and put it after school and see how things could spiral out of control much more quickly. Um, the first one was a, a jet um, from LAX that was making an emergency landing. They were returning back to LA. And so they dumped the fuel, which is what they do. I guess that's the protocol. Well, so so they don't have a bunch of fuel on board when you land, which well, so I So I read about this. So typically when they dump fuel, they're supposed to be at like much higher altitudes. Yeah. So it, this is a typical thing. It does happen that they, that they jettison fuel. It's typically done over water, over uninhabited areas, or at such a high altitude. Right. that it's imperceptible when it lands on the ground. And typically, I found out this morning, typically they are notified, they notify that they're doing it. Well, in this particular case, they didn't notify the control tower that they were doing it until after it had done it. Maybe, I don't know. And this is not a blame finding sort of thing, but they jettisoned all this fuel and a bunch of it fell onto a school, a couple of schools. Still and in a liquid form. In the liquid form. Um, in this, in one particular case, it sounds like there were about 60 kids and adults out on the playground who were, I mean, I don't know that they were necessarily doused with fuel. I don't know, you know, how, what, clearly not something that we would like to have happen to anyone. I don't think anyone was hospitalized. So no we're one, not talking. No one was even taken to the hospital, right. but so, they were treated and decontaminated, mm -hmm. which essentially was, I don't know, gave them a shower, somehow decontaminated them on which the Which it was a middle school. Maybe huh? if it was a middle school, maybe well, forced shower it, wasn't the end of days. It was an intermediate school. They oh. and maybe the kids could have used a good scrubbing anyways. But the point being, 
this is not what we would anticipate would typically happen out on the playground when it starts raining jet fuel. And, and there was a very somewhat charming, actually, interview with one of the kids that said, and suddenly it was raining, but it wasn't rain coming from the clouds. And his little middle school friends are all like laughing behind him as he's like being kind of poetic about what was <laughs> Um, which is why why I love middle schoolers so much. But anyways, um, but think about the implications of that. That was a very low level sort of emergency that ended up making national news, lots of PR, lots of you know bad PR for the airlines, potentially could have been for the school. But there was a little more of a formal response to that probably because it was during the school day. Now think about after school. So the administration has gone home. Well, there is hold no on, before you, part of the building. Yeah, hold on, before you shift to that, let's talk about what that response looked like. There needs to be communication to parents. Um, yeah. As you said, that the kids had to get decontaminated. They needed new clothes. Um, there was, we needed to communicate with the parents of the students who were directly impacted. We needed to provide a general communication. And yes. We need to figure out who was actually in, right. impacted. To be able to it's not so obvious that you can see they weren't painted red or something. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, you had to figure out, you had to sort through all the kids to figure out who's legitimately contaminated, who's just kind of freaked out about the mm -hmm. whole thing. So there's that sorting too. So there's the communication component. There is interfacing with emergency responders who were there. Um, there was a large fire, fire, fire response that happened. There was no flames, but you know, fire and EMS were there responding. So you have to be interfacing with those folks. And I don't know if they- Think of the rumors. Think of the rumors mm -hmm. as you're, someone's going, what exactly is happening? Why are yeah. there all these people here? And you're going, well, there's fuel coming out of the sky yeah. from an airplane. Think how quickly that devolves into a crash landing mm -hmm. or you know, all the things mm -hmm. that I'm sure were communication issues mm -hmm. in this particular. And, and then I don't know if they canceled the rest of the school day, but there is potentially they the- did, They did parent reunification. Okay, so then there is potentially the need to parent be, do parent reunification where we are under control with accountability reunifying parents with the child that belongs to them. So it's not just, okay, well, everybody come in from outside because of the jet fuel. There's a lot of different steps that have to happen very, very rapidly. So that's and during a if, normal- if you have one of those not so great flip charts or uh, EOPs that we always complain about that <laughs> has every flipping. emergency under the sun. I've been for a long time. Now dousing with jet fuel under one of your things on your flip chart. So. Yeah, I want to I want to say one thing about that. When we and we've talked about that before on this podcast and in some of the other resources, we really advocate for flip charts and EOPs to be organized by a response, not by an incident. Uh, by the type of incident, you know, because you do need to have a lot of different types of responses and I wouldn't suggest that any school in America necessarily have a whole tab that says jet fuel dousing kids on the playground. But we need to know what is the response procedure that we're going to enact yeah. when something like that happens. With some sort of contamination or some sort mm -hmm. of, you know, that. Yeah. And so then take that. So that happened within the school day when you have all the teachers there and you have the, uh, 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 theoretically, you have the administration or leadership on site. You have the ability to marshal resources, perhaps from other schools, all those sorts of things. Now picture that happening at 4.30 after the administration has gone or you know the principals at a meeting in central office. The teachers have left. There's a janitor, maybe an after-school monitor, and not very many people there to help with that sort of an incident. Um, and so that even 
changes the dynamic and makes it a little more difficult. Yeah, and I think it's important, you know, in something like this where the, the danger, the dangerous time has already come and gone by the time you're responding. Your yeah. key objective is to account for students and to communicate. That's going to yeah. be tough to do during the normal school day. And we, we work a lot with schools who are struggling with improving the ways that they're able to account for students during the school day, where they are, what happens if something atypical happens, what that looks like. Now imagine how difficult it might be to account for students after school based on the Now discussion. granted, you may not have, you know, instead of a thousand students, you may only have 50 or 75, but mm -hmm. it's still, think of the, you know, the, the significant decrease in the amount of resources available to you at that point. Because we're looking for 100% accountability. We need to know for yeah. sure who is here and who is not because something that the, the office is locked mm -hmm. um you probably may, may not be able to get to a phone the emergency medical cards might not be accessible mm -hmm. so all the limited resources that you might have had within the confines of the school day the school nurse is not there um you know so it, it changes the dynamic of it a great deal and probably the most significant issue is whoever that playground monitor is standing there looking at the jet fuel coming down has not been trained in any of those things, more and, than likely. And the, the playground monitor, who is also covered with jet fuel, might not be able to perform too many job functions if they are coughing and can't breathe and they've also been doused with jet fuel. And I think another important part of this, you know, we, we talk about this as kind of a localized thing. This incident didn't impact only the school. It impacted a pretty decent geographic area. So Several not schools, but one in particular more so than the others. Right, yeah. but it's it's not just, you know, we had an electrical failure inside my school and the community was not impacted. This community was largely speaking was impacted. So there's the question of are the roads even open to get to school? Um, I read an account of someone who had a bunch of fuel dumped on his car and he didn't know, could he drive? Was it safe to drive his vehicle? So you're contending with a lot of other obstacles, not just, you know, and and I think there's part of it too. These these really freak sort of things where you know people don't have a familiarity. I'm not sure that I would know that that was jet fuel. You know, mm -hmm. there's so much so much of it that is so outside of our typical experience that people get freaked out more. People there's more rumors. There's more because it wasn't a simple oh lightning struck the transform and the transformer blew up i get what that means i understand that this was something i think very foreign to folks yeah so that was the first one then the second one and these both happened actually with i, I believe on the same day or, or close together well, yeah before we before we move on i think it's important to say that you know something like this where you don't have fatalities and you don't have injuries i think is a really really good opportunity to be reflective so maybe your school is not situated near an airport and so maybe you're not necessarily at a high risk for this exact problem but what are the other types of unforeseen risks and hazards i think it's important that we look at events like this um, especially events like this that are not really a tragedy right it was an unfortunate occurrence but it wasn't a tragedy and to really use that as a learning opportunity of what what would that look like here, if something happened and we need to be able to communicate, we need to be able to account for students and we need to be able to reunify parents with students. So I think it's a really, I, really good learning opportunity that you don't have to feel 
conflicted about because no one died and no one was actually right. Injured. But I think that I think your point is really well taken. And please don't have the takeaway be let me think of all the weird freak accidents that could occur. Right. But rather, as you're saying, let's reflect on regardless of what it is, whether a deer jumped through the window or jet fuel fell out of the sky or a tanker truck flipped over the the commonality that you're describing of being able to account for students, being able to communicate with parents and being able to do parent unification, mm -hmm. those transcend whatever kind of freak accident it might be. Those are the things you're always going to have to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so sorry to interrupt. Now let's apply it to the next one. So the second one, if you haven't seen this video, you need to go see this video. Um, this was a school in North Carolina um, where, and I did a little bit of reading, there was no tornado warning issued. There was a severe thunderstorm warning. And for whatever reason, they had what meteorologists call a microburst. And it literally peeled the gym, um, the, the, the side of the gym off. And you can see in the video where the kids are in the gym playing and the, 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 the building, essentially that part of the building disintegrates and the kids just run just flat out panicking run away from that. And what struck me about it was, you know, first, your first thought is, well, how did you not know that was going to happen? Well, there was no tornado warning issued. And we also need to think about, even though we have tremendously, you know, we have pretty good advanced warning for severe weather, there is always going to be a time lag between the moment that it turns deadly or it turns into a tornado or a microburst or whatever you want to call it. And when that's communicated out and when that communication makes it to the school and when that school communicates from the office or the weather radio to the people in the building. So no matter what, you're still going to have a bit of this time lag. And so what struck me about this was how quickly that particular thing went. So we, we have this notion that, oh, they'll tell us. <clears throat> Somebody has to be the first person to see the tornado come out of the sky. Somebody is the first person to witness whatever that you know that severe weather event is and sometimes it might be you and your school and so that i think was really telling and then i thought about how would that be after school when you have even less ability to communicate even less ability to figure out what's happening from the weather radio and meteorologists and all that other stuff mm -hmm. and i think both of these are, i think are really good uh exemplar of, of sort of what we talked about that it is not a good use of your time to be thinking of these elaborate protocols and procedures for, well, if this end of the building was ravaged by wind, we would do this and we would move the kids here. This stuff is happening. I mean, it's yeah. happening. And some, in a lot of these crisis events, your response is after the danger has passed. There is no, you know, there was nothing that they could have done to have those students be responding better. Well, I don't know. Let's stop, let's put a pin in your thought for a minute because I think we need to explore that a bit because I've thought about that too. So there is no tornado warning issued. What could we have done differently as a school? Maybe nothing, but I think it bears consideration for our listeners to think about the idea of I'm in that gym and I'm the supervising teacher and it sounds like it's getting louder. And what is that noise? And wow, the wind's really picking up. I need to feel empowered to go, you know what, boys and girls, we're going to go out in the hallway instead of going, well, no one's told me that there's sure. any bad happening. And I think that is a very subtle distinction that people really need to wrap their heads around. It is okay for me. Plus, I have an obligation for me as the teacher to go, 
some doesn't seem right here, whether it's weather or a person or a situation. And for me to be empowered to go, you know what, on the side of caution, let's go do this as opposed to, well, I guess I'll just wait and see if anyone else tells me that there's a risk. So That's I'm not criticizing the school at all, but I think it does raise an interesting point of, do you, do our, do our listeners as educators feel empowered? Have they been trained and given permission and empowerment to make those decisions when I'm standing on the playground and I see this person, do I feel empowered to go, you know what, we're taking the kids inside. Or is it a situation where I'm going to go, well, somebody go ask the principal if we're allowed to bring the kids in. Mm -hmm. And that delay can be very deadly. Mm -hmm. No, and, and that's a really excellent point. Um, I think what, what I was trying to get to, and maybe the one in, with the jet fuel is a better example of this, that I think what, I, what I, my thinking is that our time is not very well spent coming up with these elaborate protocols and procedures. Because even what you're, what you're explaining isn't an elaborate protocol and procedure. It's someone being empowered to go, you know what, that's not right. I'm going to retreat. We're going to take the kids somewhere a little bit more safe. I think what needs to be a little bit more of an area of focus, um, number one, neither one of these events were an active shooter. And I think that's important to, to speak about that neither one of these were violence in schools and they still necessitated a response. But I think to think really critically about what did the school in both of these incidents spend most of their time doing, their response was accounting for kids, providing first aid where necessary, and then again, communicating and doing parent reunification. So I think it's it's really important that, does my flip chart speak to those things? Or does my flip chart instead have pages and pages and pages of how we're gonna do this to hide from an active shooter, or how we're gonna do this when these things happen? Some of these things happen so quickly, and, and you're right, your, your point about situational awareness and empowerment is important, but we need to also say some of these things happen really, really fast, and there's not a ton that we're going to do to respond to them in the moment other than prevent and to mitigate our risks and all of that. But what are we doing to be able to account, provide provide first aid and communicate and reunify parents? Because we are always going to have to do those things. When we have a crisis event, we will always have to account for kids, communicate with the public and with our stakeholders and with our parents and potentially be reunifying parents with students. So to kind of- And ironically, those are the things that we see people spending very little time yeah. on compared to yeah. active shooter training or fire drills. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't see people dedicating the time to those three activities that are gonna take place no matter whether it's jet fuel, tornado, active shooter, whatever it might be, those three activities are always going to occur. And I think that's that's probably a big takeaway um, for today as well. Plus I think that whole notion that we talk about in our trainings of the normalcy bias, of mm -hmm. getting over that, that feeling of, well, that can't be happening. That can't be jet fuel, or that can't be that the wall, I mean, the building is starting to shake. It can't be a tornado because no one said there was one. And right. so I think that overcoming that normalcy bias is probably the response side of things. But the three activities that you've described, those are things that we can do right now today. Yeah. Uh, we don't have to wait for one of these things to happen and then go, wow, I wish we had done a better job. Yeah. So well, there, we there you have it. 
Um, as always, we like to say hello and we wave to the people who are actually joining us here on YouTube. And then we also say hello to folks who are joining us just on the podcast. Um, if you are, if someone sent this to you and you're trying to figure out where to find other episodes, um, you can always, a good way is to head to our website, which is www.eschoolsafety.org. There you will find links to our YouTube channel if you're interested in watching this as a video uh, and you haven't this time, or you will find a link to listen to it as a podcast. Um, you can listen to it directly on our website. You can listen to it anywhere that you get your podcast. Which And I, I challenge you to find someone who should have listened to this discussion today mm -hmm. and send it to them and get them to listen to this discussion because there are some folks that need to hear what we talked about today. Sure. And uh, any other questions you have, you can always send to us directly. Um, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and directly on our website. And so thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. <laughs>